Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Um, yeah, dismiss. If you're a kiddo uh, ready to go to kids' church, you can be dismissed down the center aisle. And bless you, our volunteers and kids. We love our kids here at Mosaic. And we're praying for God to move in the next generation. And we want to be a part of that work in the city of Richardson. Um, we're in Psalm 34. And so if you want to turn there, um, that's where we're going to dig in and camp out is Psalm 34. Uh, we're in a series in the Psalms. And John Calvin talks about the Psalms and he says that it is the anatomy of all parts of the soul. There's a uniqueness, a, uh, a richness to the book of the Psalms. It's filled with songs and prayers and worship liturgies, and it offers to us something unique, something about God's creative beauty and majesty, and it invites us to worship. And that's when we spend time in the Psalms, that's what we're being invited into, is to learn what does it look like to have a right response to the glory of a holy God? What does it look like to worship him as he is? And last week we looked at Psalm 24, and we considered together what it looks like for that spiritual muscle of beholding God in all of his glory, and how that changes us and challenges us towards personal holiness. And I want to build on that this week, and look at one verse in Psalm 34, because I think, I think it's going to help us in the process of pursuing holiness, in the process of learning what it means to worship God as he is. And it's verse 9. So I'm going to read it, and I will say at the end of it, this is the word of the Lord. And I'll invite you to say, thanks be to God. And this is a way that we respond every week to the reading of Scripture. It's going to feel a little awkward because it's just one verse, but we're going to do it, and we're going to enjoy it because uh, we, yeah, because we, we believe God has spoken. He's not left us in silence. He's not, uh, he didn't shut off the lights and was like, all right, you've got to figure this out. He has given us his word for help, for power, for spiritual nourishment and encouragement. And we want to look to it every week. And that's why we do it. And so let me read Psalm 34, 9, and uh, then I'll pray for us. <clears throat> oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pause and, um, and just recognize that all we need is one verse. All we need is one verse to mine the treasures of your truth and your glory and your majesty. <clears throat> we want to know you. We want to love you as you are. Would you, by the power of your spirit, would you correct misconceptions we have about you? Would you renew us and revive us with faith and trust and hope? Would you have your way in this gathering by the power of the Spirit? We love you and we trust you and we pray all this in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. So, how many of you have seen a lion? Show me your hands. You've been maybe at the zoo 
in the presence of a lion, or maybe you went on a safari. Uh, that would be even more, like, dangerous and scary, uh, going on a safari. Lions and, and lionesses, like, let's give credit to the lionesses. They're powerful, right? They're majestic creatures. There is strength, and there is a ferocious uh, dynamic to the, the lion. Now, think for a minute. If there was a pack of lions, maybe six, seven, eight lions, that just came through that door back there, how would you respond? What was that? Run. Lions, they bust through the door and they're like, hey, we're, we're here to worship the Lord. <laughs> no, no, but like they, they come through the door and they have a look in their eye. And they're prowling, they're, they're fanning out. And there's a high probability that they're going to eat someone, right? What, what is our first instinct is to run. And like, it's going to be okay. We're not doing some kind of experiential education thing this morning. I don't have some wild creatures back there and we're going to test my theory here. But if there's a stairwell right there, if, if you don't believe me. Um, but our first instinct is to run, to flee. Why do we flee? Why do we run? Fear. What else? Why, why do we run? To be safe. Because the lions aren't safe. We run because we're afraid and we don't believe the lions, nearness to the lions are any kind of safety. And we don't know what the lion's going to do. And there's a high probability that the lion is going to eat you, right? And so we run and we flee. And I think when many of us think about the fear of the Lord, that's the experience we think of. Some of us think, yeah, fear of the Lord. Yep, I'm terrified of God. And we think that what the Bible is calling us to is to be terrified of God because he might eat you. But that's not what the Bible is calling us to. The Bible is calling us to something that looks like a healthy fear of the Lord because there's a difference between being afraid of God and walking in a fear of the Lord. And part of the problem when we come to this reality and this word fear is all of our life is marked by the experience of negative fear. All of the conversations we have in the church and in the world are about negative fear. And the Bible talks about negative fear, doesn't it? One of the main commands that we see throughout Scripture is don't be afraid. Fear not. So negative fear is a thing, but what David is inviting us into, what God is inviting Mosaic Church into, is to cultivate a healthy fear of the Lord. And that's what we're going to look at today. The word fear is helpful, but in some ways it's not helpful, right? The word fear, we, we don't want to throw it out because it's the word God gives us in his holy word. And there is an element of terror in a healthy fear of the Lord, but it's not the kind of terror you feel when the lion busts in the door and you say, ah! It's 
It's more of the terror that you feel when you hear the rumbling of the thunder outside. And you go, whoa, that is loud. Whoa, it feels like the, the sky just cracked open. It's a terror that is moved by power, by the top of the roller coaster. And you go, whoa, what is going on? I did not want to get on this ride. But more of the center of the idea has the sense of our word awe. It is awe-inspiring. It's a sense of reverence and respect. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. So what I want to talk about is how should we think about a fear of the Lord? How do we obey this command? What does it look like in our lives? And if we're going to understand what David is saying about a fear of the Lord, we have to look at the context. That's like the number one rule you learn when you start learning Bible study methods. Context, context, context. And when we fan out and we look back, what we realize is this command, fear of the Lord, is actually in a stanza of three commands. The verse before, verse 8, says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And so there's three commands, tasting, seeing, and fearing. And we want to make sure that we're not forgetting the tasting and the seeing. But if we fan out even more, we see that David is in the process of telling a testimony. He's giving a picture of what his experience has been like with the Lord. He looks at verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And so if we're going to understand tasting and seeing, we got to fan out and understand the context. And what is David talking about? He's talking about his deliverance. And so the tasting and the seeing and the fearing are tied to David's deliverance as an expression of God's goodness. Tasting and seeing. The metaphorical language is helpful for us because it gives us a picture. It gives us depth to our understanding of what it means to trust and believe in God. We use these words all the time, but what do they mean? What does it mean to have faith in God, to trust God? David says, tasting and seeing the goodness of God in his deliverance of you. Tasting. It's this idea of taking the goodness of God and tasting it with our tongues. Exploring the flavors of God's goodness. It's taking and grabbing onto the goodness of God and deliverance and ingesting it, internalizing it, bringing it in and chewing it and marinating it and enjoying and delighting in it. Much like you would a nice juicy steak. You know when the steak comes to your table and it's like it's still sizzling and it's juicy and you cut it with the knife and it's just like, oh, cooked to perfection and you taste it, it's glorious, Right? Or maybe like the salad. If you're a salad person, that's okay. Like think about the salad, not with the wilty lettuce, but like with the fresh lettuce, fresh vegetables, 
The dressing proportions are just perfect. It's a hot day, and you take a bite. It's just refreshing. That's what it means to trust and believe, to taste and see the goodness of God. And this changes the way we come to the command fear because we've tasted and seen the goodness of God and his deliverance. We've experienced a reality, an awakening of the goodness of God and the gospel. That God has delivered us from sin, death, and the devil. And we're trying to taste it and to see it. Changes the way that we come to the command, fear the Lord. The Bible is not saying, fear the Lord over there. That Lord. You see that Lord? You see him? He's powerful and he demands your respect. And if you don't give it to him, he's going to get you. That's not what the Bible is saying. But how often is that the way we come to God? Thinking he's going to strike us down. Worried that we're out of line with his will and we're in danger. That he's going to eat us. That kind of idea of God does not create a humble posture of worship. It creates groveling and trembling. And there are plenty of tyrants in world history that exert power that way. And they say, bow to me. I am king. I am the ruler. You will bow. Honestly, it's how I feel often in my house with my kids. You will obey me. You will do what I say. Why aren't you doing what I say? God's not like that. God does not force people to bow to him. He could. He could. He has the power. The essence of his being, if he were to show up in the fullness of who he is as the supreme spiritual supernatural being, he could force people to bow. We see pictures at Mount Sinai of God coming into dwelling on the mountain and there is smoke and there is rumbling and the mountain shakes. God could show up and cause us to bow before him, but he doesn't. Why? Why does he not do that? Because it's not who he is. The God we worship at Mosaic is not a God who forces people to bow. The real God, the real Jesus, is not a Lord that demands you respect him. He woos you by his goodness and his grace. And this is the fear. This is the awe. This is the reverence, is that God has all the power. He is glorious. He is able to make us bow, but he doesn't. Why? Because it's not who he is. Who he is, is a God of great power, God of great glory, but he is a God of great compassion and mercy. And this is what we fear. We do not fear the power and the glory. Though it does mark our approach of God, we recognize it. We want to revere that aspect of him. 
but ultimately revere a God who is both powerful and glorious and good and gracious. How is it that he has not forced us to bow? Why do we have access to our God? Why? Because he is good, he is faithful, he is gracious, and he is loving. And he is patient and kind and loving. And he woos us. He's not trying to scare us like the lions in the back. He's not trying to run us away. He's trying to draw near to us and come near to us and love us. And because of this, this makes our God a God worthy of worship. That's why we're invited to bow and worship him because of what he's done. Because he is a God of full power and glory and full compassion and love. And what this means is that the Bible is is not only saying fear the Lord, but fear your Lord. Fear your Savior. Have a sense of reverence and awe at who God is. That he is glorious, he is holy, he is set apart. But he is merciful and compassionate and he has come down to rescue us. It changes. When we taste and see, it changes the way we understand the command to fear the Lord. If you think about the lions busting through the door and they're prowling and our tendency is we're, we're terrified, we run. What the Bible is telling us is that the lions are on our side. We don't need to run from them because the Lord is on our side and we can draw near to him. Do you see it? The reverence and awe and fear, respect, is not at a God that's going to get you, it's going to zap you, that wants to terrify you. It's a God that wants to welcome you. It's a God that has veiled something of his glory and come to us in the person of Jesus to demonstrate the compassion and mercy of God. And that's what we fear. That's what we revere. And that's what it looks like to obey this command, is to have a sense of awe at who God is. But what does it look like to walk in a fear of the Lord? Well, David actually, in this psalm, it's, it's actually it's very fascinating for me as a Bible nerd. I don't know if it's fascinating for you. But in the psalm, he changes his tone. And what we find in verses 11 to 14 is more of a, a wise sage that you would find in the Proverbs showing up in the Psalms. And you're like, what is going on here? And it's likely because fear of the Lord is such a central point in the book of Proverbs. It it really is the the center and thesis of the book of Proverbs. We read in Proverbs 1, 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom is, is really just skill in living. What does it look like when we come to those gray areas that, you know, the Bible doesn't really speak to? What what do we do? How do we make those decisions? We make them with wisdom. Well, how do I get wisdom? 
walking in a fear of the Lord, in a reverence to God. One commentator talks about this fear of the Lord. Their lives are rooted at the true center of creation, reverence of the one who granted human life in the first place. When we walk in a healthy fear of the Lord, we're connected to the one who has created all things. And because of that, we know something about the way life is meant to be lived. The the goodness and righteousness and holiness that was meant to be woven into the creation, but has been distorted by sin. A fear of the Lord reorients us by the power of the Spirit and through tasting and seeing. David says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man, is there, what man is there who desires life and love many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. There are three things that David identifies as walking in a fear of the Lord. Holy speech, goodness, and peace. Holy speech, staying away from the temptation to lie, cheat, and steal to get ahead. Having integrity. Not shredding someone to build yourself up. Goodness. Turn away from evil. It's not enough just to avoid evil. A fear of the Lord is seeking what is good. Sacrificing yourself, your schedule, your time and money to seek the good of others, the good of the world, the goodness of God in this place. Peace, to seek peace and pursue it. And seeking peace is not passivity. Some of you Enneagram nines, we need you. We need you because you have an eye for peace that some of us don't have. But cultivating peace is going to take some action, some initiative, going to make us force, like set up boundaries and, and voice against injustice. Seeking peace is hard work. And we see this, this plan of God in our life as we fear him and revere him and what he has done in the gospel. He's, he's teaching us to live lives of integrity and kindness. To live a life that's marked by integrity and kindness. The person who lies, cheats, and steals, the person who cuts corners, they do that because they feel like they don't have any other option. I got to get mine. I got to protect my needs. I got to get what I want. And if if this is what I feel like I want, I'm going to do anything I can to get it. But for the Christian who reveres the Lord, we have another option. And this is why there's a promise woven into the command, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear the Lord will lack nothing. This is an invitation to trust the provision of God. We have a better option. And so fear of the Lord really is just built on three beliefs. So we move to wrapping this up. Fear of the Lord is built on three beliefs. One, God is who he says he is. He is righteous and just, good and gracious. He is true. If he says he's going to provide for those who fear the Lord, he will. 
because he is who he says he is. He's trustworthy. The second belief is he's invested in your life, live for him. He's invested in your life, lived for him. And what this means is everything in the Christian life is slanted in your favor because the lion's on your side. His power, his authority, his goodness is all weighing you down the mountain so that everything is is slanted in your favor as you pursue righteousness, as you speak against injustice, as you try and sacrifice in love for others. He's going to provide, he's going to show up because he's invested in your life, lived for him. God isn't, we believe Jesus is alive. We do. We believe at Mosaic Church that Jesus is alive. He's not dead. And the testimony of Easter morning meets with us every week, every day. Jesus is alive. And if he's alive, he's not just binging Netflix. He's not watching Manifest. He is working to build his kingdom. He is working to expose injustice. He is working to build people up who can bring the gospel to Syria. And if that's true, then we want to find out, like, where's he, where's he moving? What is he doing in Richardson? So I can align myself with that. And as we align ourselves to the mission of God in Richardson, oh, you better believe he's invested in that work. You better believe you're going to start to see God do miracles, that you're going to see God move powerfully because he's invested in it. He's invested in defending his name. See this in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord. (laughs) The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are toward their cry. Isn't this what we all need? To know that God sees you. He loves you. And that he hears you. When you cry. I wonder if we really believed this, we would be more active in prayer. We would be more prone to turn to the Lord. He's invested in your life, live to Him. The last one is He's with you. He is with you. The end of the psalm, we see eyes, ears, face, hears, near. Verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That's good news for us. We see this all over the ministry of Jesus, that he is is coming near to the brokenhearted. He cares, and he is displaying something of God's character. I want to turn. There's a story that came to mind as we were singing and in Luke 8, you see, you, when, you, when you realize this healthy fear of the Lord, you see it all over the Bible. And you see Jesus demonstrating exactly what we're talking about, that the fear of the Lord, the awe, is at who God is in his goodness and deliverance. So 
Luke 8, there's a woman who uh, we're told has a, an illness, uh, a blood disease. And um, because of this, she probably was not really active in society. She was pushed to the side, maybe a reclusive. And Jesus, at this point, is like, he's popular. And it talks about him walking, and there's crowds all around him. The f- people are just coming to him. And this woman believes if she just touches Jesus, she'll be healed. And so she grabs onto him, and Jesus, it says, it says that he sensed the power leaving him. And he looks at the disciples and says, who touched me? And they're all like, what, you smoke? Like, what are you talking about? Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. And the woman, she knew, she, she heard Jesus ask that, and she knew it was me. I've been healed because I touched Jesus. And listen to this. This is just, this is so powerful. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had had been healed immediately. And Jesus looks to her and says this, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And so, here's, here's if, you, if you are in this spot of being afraid of God, if there are times in your life where you're wrestling with sin or you treat someone the wrong way and you're afraid God's going to get you. What you need to hear is this, that God is gracious, that he is compassionate and merciful, and he has delivered us from sin, death, and the devil because it's who he is. The lion is on our side. And we can go near to him. We can, we can come to him with that fear. That he's invested in your life, live to him. And he's with you. God is inviting us to walk in a healthy fear of the Lord. And that's going to change the way that we behave in the world. It's going to change the way we live. It's going it's to totally just reformat the way we reason. And the way we make decisions. I was, I'll be honest with you, on Friday, I, I had a decision. And, and I was going to do something. And I was like, I'm preaching on a fear of the Lord. And I know this is not integrity. And that's the reality, is walking in a healthy fear of the Lord, it's going to cost something of us. It's going to take us to lay our lives down for the sake of God's glory. But we do it because we believe he will provide. We do it because we believe he is who he says he is. One commentator writes, fear of God is to pare life down to its essential core. Acceptance that one is completely dependent on God's gracious, undeserved mercy. And that's what we're being invited into. Let me close with a scene from 
the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And many of you have probably heard this before, but C.S. Lewis wrote a book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and there's a lot of symbolism to the Christian life and uh, the way of God. And uh, there's a talking beaver, and he tells this little girl that uh, the ruler of Narnia, Aslan, is a great lion. And Susan is surprised because she thought Aslan would be a man. And she then tells Mr. Beaver, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. She asks Mr. Beaver if Aslan was safe. And Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. When we walk in a healthy fear of the Lord, a sense of awe and reverence at who God is and his glory, his power, and in his grace, in compassion, we recognize he's not safe, but he's good. And that changes everything. Let's pray. Father, we, ah, we love you. And we're thankful uh, that you have given your word to help us. I pray in the name and authority of Jesus that you would come against lies and misconceptions about who you are. I cut them off in the name of the Lord and pray against any work of the enemy in this place right now. As people walk out, correct us in recognizing who you are as a God of great glory and great power and great mercy and compassion. And cultivate in us a sense of awe, a sense of fear, that we would live lives that are different, live lives that would demonstrate something of what you are like to the world. We love you and we trust you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.